world is becoming more unglued by the day. Local consequences are now showing up. We are seeing sky-high gas prices, higher food prices, shortages, and more. How should you respond? Go to redpills.tv slash patriot. That's R-E-D-P-I-L-L-S dot TV slash patriot. And secure your long-term emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. My Patriot Supply is by far the largest preparedness company in America. They're in stock and shipping quickly in unmarked boxes to your door. Their emergency food supplies last up to 25 years in storage. When you need it, it'll be there. Lunches, dinners, drinks, and snacks totaling over 2,000 calories a day. Get free shipping on any order over $99. Again, go to redpills.tv slash Patreon. journey of conversations on the fringe well good evening everybody out there in the world my name is josh this is the red pill projects conversations on the fringe and tonight we are joined by brad olson uh back on the show again to talk about his newest book beyond esoteric and his three book series uh, this is going to be a fantastic conversation. If you guys don't know, Brad is the author of 10 different books, including the Esoteric series, Modern Esoteric, Future Esoteric, and the newly released Beyond Esoteric. He is an award-winning author, book publisher, and event producer, keynote presenter, um, been doing multiple interviews all over the place, just came back from Mount Shasta. I want to hear all about this. Um, we were just talking about he, he needs to get out of commie California. I agree with him on that. You need to. Brad, how you been, man? Oh man, we had such great Hey Josh, I'm doing great. Yeah, I'm already out of California in the state of Nevada. Uh, looking at some land deals tomorrow all over northwestern Nevada. Got a couple favorites in mind, but uh, as we were saying in this the setup, it's go time, Josh, and you feel it as much as I do, and you're privy to some information, and so am I about uh What's coming down the pike real fast here for America. And as your audience knows, be prepared for what's coming because this is going to be 
one of the biggest shocks to people that aren't ready for it and also one of the biggest uh, wake-up moments for those who did see it coming and being prepared and being able to handle it. You know, I I agree with you. We do um, I do multiple different shows throughout the week, including including like a geopolitical, geomilitaristic analysis show on the state of the chaos in the world. And I always call this the unfolding global conspiracy. Um, and what's happening right now is coming to a head. We got China, Taiwan. We got Iran, Israel. We got Russia, Eastern Europe. And then the United States trying to play police actor with proxy wars in between. And this is definitely not a good situation for anybody. We just, I actually just posted Ventura County, California just came out with a nuclear preparedness video. We're, we're trying to confirm that this is real, but I actually went out there. I found one of their websites. It was on there, but taken down. And it was, um, it was scary to say the least. It starts out with a mushroom cloud in the backdrop of a guy walking down the street. And then he picks up a guitar and says, get inside and starts singing like, you know, get inside, stay inside and turn on the news. And it's just a mockery of nuclear preparedness, because I don't know if you saw the uh, the New York City PSA's public service announcement about uh, nuclear preparedness, but they're telling people to get into buildings um, if a tactical nuke or any type of um, nuclear weapon went off within the middle of a city. The last place that you want to go is a building with glass, wood, steel. Uh, you want to get as far underground in the subway systems underneath multiple layers of concrete. Um, this is this is ridiculous, but the rhetoric is is getting even crazier. Well, that's right. And remember when we were kids, Josh, we had uh, nuclear drills in our schools where you'd get under the uh, desk if it was an, an immediate blast or you'd get to a fallout shelter. Remember those yellow and black signs with the three triangles in them where you would go for a fallout shelter? So why are they doing this all of a sudden right now? It's, it's like predictive programming and giving us an idea of what part of the country is most vulnerable. And Ventura is only about 300 miles from where I am down the coast. So California is very vulnerable, as is New York State. So uh, being prepared in, in the both coasts, it's a good time to get out of the urban centers, too, I, I would have to say. And, and that's certainly what uh, I'm intending to do here in the next few weeks and months. I would like to secure my new place uh, really in about a month. Yeah, uh, I, I, I myself have been looking for land, and one of the things that I plan on doing when I get the land is uh, one of my buddies, he digs out basements for people who buy new houses, and I'm going to have him build a double basement connected through a tunnel, and we're going to pop some uh, shipping containers in there, rebury them, and uh, put a layer of concrete, hopefully, you know, depending on the price, but put layers of concrete on it and make some bomb shelters, because who knows what is going to happen, but I'd rather be much, much safe than sorry right yeah that's, that's a great, great idea with the uh, containers because you can pick those up pretty cheap yep and of course they make for great storage sheds too if you got some land so we're thinking along the same lines there josh and these are conversations on the fringe but wouldn't you agree that more and more people are starting to wake up and see that there is something fundamentally wrong in this country and that there is an imminent threat that uh, we all should very much be paying attention to. 
I, I agree. And, you know, I, I have um, I, I know a lot of people within the Christian communities. I know a lot of people in the occult and the esoteric communities, and I communicate with them all. And there's one common agreement between all of them, and they all believe that they're in some type of prophetic end time. Now, this has always intrigued me because the the Christian word apocalypse, which derives from Revelation, um, is representative of the Egyptian word that means the unveiling. And this is talking about the goddess Isis, who apparently had the mysteries of the universe held behind her veil within her eyes. And that the unveiling would come where those mysteries would be revealed to mankind and it was never going to be an easy truth. And if that is the prophetic perspective that we're taking, I think that that's exactly the time that we're in is that the the veil is being pulled back. The darkness is subsiding and light is shining in and we're beginning to see the truth of really what is happening in the world. The chaos that is ensuing is becoming more organized and we're beginning to see who it is, what it is, what they're trying to do, why they're trying to do it. And not even us, just common people as well are starting to understand these things. And that's, that's what gives me some hope that uh, the great awakening is happening before the great reset can throw us all off their game and throw in this authoritarian fascist world government. And we see the, uh, the machinations for it right now, the whole formation of how the UN can come in. Remember how, uh, was it just a month or two ago that, that it was a, a UN, a World Health Amendment, that if the World Health Organization declared a pandemic that it would supersede all of the laws of all the uh, countries within the UN and it would be enforced with the UN police and army force. Mm -hmm. So we're treading on very dangerous ground. You can see how this fascist model is setting itself up to uh, roll up the next pandemic and uh, we're suddenly find ourselves in a police state uh, with a foreign government. What if Chinese UN troops under the guise of the next pandemic start rolling in? And, oh, we sent all our uh, anti-tank and anti-aircraft missiles over to Ukraine where they got destroyed by Russia. Now we can't even fight off a land invasion. If you saw uh, Mike Adams, the Hells Ranger, did a report on China, they are loading up major ships right now. A lot of people think it's, it's going to be the Taiwan theater of engagement. But Mike Adams was proposing they're never going to tell you where they're going to go until they're there. And so he's proposing none other than the West Coast, California, will be the landing spot, a kind of Normandy invasion at our weakest point. And, you know, another thing, Josh, Lake Mead, which gives water to all of Las Vegas and millions of people all the way down to Mexico, is very much near what they call dead pool, which is practically empty, unusable. How many millions of people will be desperate mm -hmm. to get out of Vegas when their taps no longer run with fresh water? Well, that's right. And, you know, I um, there's a meme that I've always wanted to create. Um, a good friend of mine worked for this family, really wealthy and powerful family known as the Waltons. I think we've all heard of Walmart. And, um, oh, yeah. 
one of the things that the Walton family does is they have a massive philanthropy where they take in millions of dollars of government subsidies to uh, to save the Colorado River. And we know the Colorado River is basically all these lakes run off into the Colorado River. The Colorado River is one of the main water sources for Arizona, Utah, Colorado, um, and it's drying up as well. And it's funny, too, because they're getting millions of dollars for their foundation that go in there and save the Colorado River. But on the other side, over by California, they're bottling water from the Colorado River, putting it on planes and in tankers and flying it to the Middle East, to the UAE and Saudi Arabia. And they're doing it on a daily basis. And so it's a racket. And water wars truly are coming. Now, I wanted to comment on what you said about Mike Adams. So um, I, I, I love Mike Adams. I think he's great. I'm actually going to be in an event with him at the end of this month. Uh, he's, a, he's a speaker. I'll be a speaker there as well. Uh, but on the military analysis, I, I think that he's, he's, got, he's right on a point, but I think a few events have to happen first. Um, so Ch China would need to control Taiwan from a militaristic position because six months after the control of Taiwan, they cut off the supply chain, the global supply chain to the whole world. 84% of all container ships, of all cranes that basically move container ships, all the parts and manufacturing, plus what is it? 68% of global shipping derives out of that area, out of the Taiwanese stra uh, straits. 72% uh, of all chipsets derive out of Taiwan itself. So if you had China invade Taiwan and control the shipping channels, they control the whole world at that point. And for the Western nations, it's simply a war of attrition at that point. The United States military Navy cannot fight China within that area, within that domain. They would easily dominate it. And all they would have to do is wait for a global war to break out, the draft be reinitiated, veterans get recalled in the United States, so all 18 to 45-year-old men get shipped off the war. Only thing that's left here is, you know, handicapped people, people who can't fight, and, and strong women who are raising children. And then what happens is all these 18 to 25-year-old males have been coming up through the border that are Middle Eastern, Northern African, that have been training in Chinese militant camps. They start implementing within these liberal cities, utilizing the guns that cartels gave them from Eric Holder's Fast and Furious operation back in 2010, and they start raging extremist wars within our cities, producing social and cultural destabilization. At that point, the United States is in a, set, a, a point of collapse. It's really easy for China to start launching attacks on the western seaboard, primarily within off the coast of San Diego, where they've had five different merchant vessels sitting there for over two years that it's believed that they have some type of new technology that can take down planes instantaneously, as well as Club Ks, which could take out all of MCAS, all of the Naval Port, El Centro, all within just a few minutes. And so they would be more advised to wait towards that time frame when they cause that social and cultural destabilization to bring about that type of formative attack. But we just saw that article today about um, it was on The Sun, and I think it was from Reuters, that China is pla planning some type of Pearl Harbor-like attack on the United States Navy in Taiwan. And so this is uh, if that happens, this is going to ramp up real fast and it's not going to be a situation we want to find ourselves in. Yeah, you make a really good point, Josh, that several things have to happen first. And they're also cutting off Taiwan. China has stopped their export of sand to make silicon chips to Taiwan. So they want to cripple them first. 
and I bet they would like to see America knock down a couple pegs too, such as the water scarcity, such as flooding and, and hurricane season is coming up. You know, the geoengineering is starting to ramp up again. It was about six weeks I didn't see any geoengineering out west here and was starting to feel a little optimistic, but it has started up again. And there are ways to bring your enemy to their knees. And I was uh, good friends with the author, Jerry Smith, who wrote the book Weather Warfare. And he died under very uh, unusual and suspicious Jesse Ventura on conspiracy theory about six, seven years ago. He went and filmed up in the Twin Cities, went out for a drink in the hotel room and seems like somebody slipped him a Mickey because he barely got home to Illinois and was dead, really very ill and passed within a few weeks. Wow. And we lost uh, another one of our, our great truthers uh, with Jerry Smith. That's so when you're, when you're cutting close to the bone here, you start to become uh, a bit of a target. And that's, that's why, why I certainly uh, do not <laughs> let my uh, whereabouts known very often. Yeah, and and you're right on that. And we just saw the Project Veritas release document release documents uh, from the FBI pertaining to uh, militia violent extremism. Um, the DHS has been publishing documents on. Um, basically conspiracy theorists who propagate 2020 election fraud, COVID vaccine, uh, I can't say that we're on YouTube, but COVID vaccine fraud, you know, they talk about this in these documents that these people are being targeted and watched as violent extremists. And, and it's scary because it makes us think about what happened to the Japanese during World War II that were taken to detainment camps. And the United States government has had these projects in place for a very long time. And... Um, you know, it, it's a scary time to be alive, but it's also an amazing time to be alive because what we're seeing is something that I predicted a few years ago is that you have these radicalized globalists, these elitists, if you want to call them, who's ever behind the shadows, whether it's Satan or aliens or whatever it might be, um, or just human beings that are just psychopaths. I don't know. But what we're finding is that countries like Russia and China are done playing their game and are going to move towards their own state of globalization in their own alliance, which is undermining these elitists and these globalists in a certain sense. But the problem is, is the United States of America has been the head center for the globalists, their military, their police, their army, their, their economy for the longest time. And so that means that America has to come down to their knees for them to be successful and take down these globalists as well. So it's an exciting and a scary time at, at the same place. But, you know, I'm very optimistic. I think that uh, the whole world is coming to a precipice moment where they're going to wake up and they're going to look and see what is being ha what is happening in the world. And they're going to just rise up and say no more. And they're going to take the power back like they truly should. And I think that this is very similar to uh, events that have happened in the past as well. And, and, and we, we are, are starting to see these kind of uh, grassroots movements. We're, we're not going to take it anymore, and we're mad as hell, such as Sri Lanka. And they made the president flee the country. Europe is having a lot of upheavals, and the farm protests are trying to shut down farming. You can see how they're trying to bring us to our knees in all these different ways. And sometimes they're not achieving their objective. And 
to me, that indicates that the Great Awakening is just uh, a little bit ahead of this Great Reset. Yeah, you know, I was uh, I was on my uh, my other show on American Media Periscope, DEPCON 5, the other day, and we talked to a gentleman who was talking to us about uh, low-energy nuclear reactions, Lennar technology. Um, and I know Mike Adams has done some stuff on yep. this as well. But Brilliant Energy, who is the primary company that holds the patents for these, it's pretty brilliant what they're doing. They're utilizing a uh, nickel cadmium lattice and then basically inducing um, an electric field within it and then basically shooting hydrogen, positively high, uh, charged hydrogen atoms through the lattice, which generates massive amounts of heat and gives off excess electrons and produces a 2.5 times over unity of the amount of energy put in which is astronomical. Basically, you can you can heat or electrify 30,000 houses in the United States for one year with a cup of water. It's amazing. Yep. And so many of these technologies have been suppressed. And this is where we're getting into some of the esoteric sciences that anything that was achieving this over-unity would... Send off a kind of alarm signal. And I have a friend, I write about this in uh, Beyond Esoteric in a chapter on crystals. And this guy, Mark Cummings, who I knew in Berkeley, is a brilliant scientist and was doing work with crystals, not only as a great capacitor for holding memory and charge. Crystals are really going to be the, uh, the future in so many different industries. But Mark Cummings was working in such a way that he was getting his crystals to produce free energy. And this is what's really weird, Josh. He had just achieved his uh, goals. He was doing it again and again. And it's like it set off an alarm bell wherever there was a way to detect what he was doing. And before he could even tell anybody, he was getting the knock on the door. They confiscated his equipment. They harassed the hell out of him. And to this day, he had to flee America and he's living in Indonesia. Wow. So this is what they'll do to free energy uh, engineers and inventors. And then there's a whole dirty laundry list of some of them who have been killed, like uh, Malau and one or two others. I write about them in my uh, book, Future esoteric, I have a chapter on free energy. And you don't always get out of this alive. Colonel, a uh, couple other different inventors who have kept a low profile and continue to talk about cold fusion and Lennar and all these other alternatives have basically uh, said that if you take it to the patent office, that's the first step. That they will try to Say, okay, okay great, great invention, Josh. Whoop, hey, $10 million, man, we'll buy it off you. Say, no, no, no. No, I want to give it to the world. I want to be like Nikola Tesla and be uh, someone who basically gives this creation to humanity. And they would then um, say that, okay, well, then we're going to run you out of town or it's off of your head. I mean, I mean, this, this is, is what we're up against. This, this is why I call this the prison planet. Is because all good things and all great inventions just get swallowed up. And if the Department of Energy can get your patent or free energy device 
it goes to Los Alamos in their underground base there, and that's where they say free energy patents go to die because they'll just bottle them up and they never get used. You know, it's interesting that you you mentioned Mark Cummings because um, one of the people that I one of the people I researched early on was a guy by the name of Marcel Vogel, who was a uh. engineer for IBM who was working with various different crystal lattice structures to produce the earliest forms of computer memory. And he found out very similar things that Mark was finding out, um, eventually being let go from IBM, all of his research basically destroyed and he took it out to the world and tried to give it to them. But uh, he even believed that crystals were conscious and that they were amazing receptors of energy and holders of information. <laughs> Yeah, crystals are really going to be the future in computing, in storage devices, and in free energy. You know, Edgar Casey, the sleeping prophet, said the reason why planes go missing over the Bermuda Triangle, and there's all this missing time incidents and planes go into a vortex and then come out 20 years later, he says that there's a fire crystal. He describes it as the free energy device of Atlantis that is still operating at the bottom of the Atlantic. And that's what's creating this vortex that uh, gets all these missing case incidents in this Bermuda Triangle area. That's crazy. I, I You know, I love stories like this, too, because there, there's so much relevance to the truth of it. You know, one of the most interesting esoteric aspects that I've uh, I, I came across lately, and um, who was it? I think it was... Uh, Tom DeLong from the To The Stars Academy, who really discovered this. There is a 1990s document about Chinese nuclear testing up in the Arctic. And the United States knew China was going to be doing this testing. So what they did is they turned on the seismic monitors. And when China did this underground nuclear test, the seismic monitors detected this upside down pyramid shaped object underneath the Arctic. Uh, and so they went and detected it in this one military report that was unclassified that Tom DeLong saw talked about what's called the dark pyramid that's emitting a certain level of radiation that suppresses alpha brain states. And I found this fascinating because I heard this around the same time that I was doing research on various different brainwave frequencies. And, you know, it's interesting to look at every species on this planet, every species on this planet exist in a mental resonant state with the Schumann resonance between 7.85 hertz to 14.85 hertz, except for human beings. Human beings are the only ones that do not exist in this resonant state of the alpha brainwave. We actually have to find a way to get ourselves in this state. We exist more in the beta state where the alpha state is our optimized state. And it's kind of interesting because he claims that this dark pyramid suppresses humans' consciousness so that we can't evolve spiritually, mentally, and physically. Wow, that, that's good download, Josh. I'm going to look into that one. And then, of course, you say black and something perhaps extraterrestrial. You get the Black Knight satellite, mm -hmm. which has been orbiting the Earth ever since the Russians put up Sputnik. They detected this extraterrestrial satellite that goes on a pole-to-pole -pole rotation, meaning that every single landmass on the planet will eventually be in its sights. And this has been up there since our space age began, and there's a lot of 
speculation about who put it there and what it's there for, perhaps is kind of monitoring or even uh, mind controlling of us. Because we know that the Harper rays can also do that too, that they can do the, the voice to skull technology even through the 5G antennas. So you start hearing voices, you think you're schizophrenic, but it's actually just technology dark technology, the kind of technology that we should be having this conversation on the fringe about because people need to be made aware of this stuff. I agree. And, you know, you mentioned the harp arrays. Um, there is a harp array in uh, northeastern Australia. And I urge people to look this up. It's a harp uh uh, high energy acoustic rural resonance project, right? Chamber. But the platform, the way that the harp array is set up is Metatron's cube. It's sacred geometry. It's a dodecahedron 100%. It's, it's set up with Kabbalic symbology. Um, and, and it's crazy too because it gives significance to um, the, the chimatic aspect of things, the cymatic aspect of things, of sounds and resonance, a lot of what Nikola Tesla was talking about. Oh, man, you nailed it. Good one, Josh. you got a great memory for this stuff. And, of course, not too far from there is the Pine Gap underground base, which has a stargate that goes here to the state of Nevada, supposedly. And they're moving supplies and personnel around this planet using some of this technology. So our CIA's got her fingers in a lot of different pies, including the CERN project in uh, Switzerland and France, which uh, they're firing up again. See how where, where that goes. Hopefully not opening up a portal where ships come flying in and other baddies that are just going to make things worse. You know, that's an interesting topic, CERN. Um, you know, we talk a lot about the Mandela effect here, simulation theory. But uh, I, I actually saw this TikTok with Tom DeLong the other day, and he was talking about time. And he starts to explain it, and I'm like, whoa, that's my theory. I wrote this down 10 years ago and one of the, the first <laughs> note parts of my book. And this is one thing that I've always talked about is the Mandela effect isn't necessarily – um, that time is changing and things are changing within our reality, but instead the universe basically utilizes the path of least resistance to bring about a formative reality for a conscious being. And in order for that to happen is let's say that I'm in line in this universe right now and I want to bring about something and I'm completely aligned with it, but it can't manifest in this universe because it's just too many probabilities would have to occur, but there's a universe just a slither to the right that the universe knows if it can just transition my time-space orientation to that one, that, that it can manifest it a lot easier through the path of least resistance. And when you get to this new slither, it's a parallel dimension. It's a parallel reality, a parallel multiverse. And things are just a little bit different there. And we start noticing this. And if we're doing this on our daily basis, we're shifting back and forth through these multi-dimensional aspects – and then we're going to see various changes over time. And we really only would notice it if we had a record of documentation of this over time. And that's really what happened in 2010. But Tom DeLong said that time um, is really this, uh, this it, it's, it's stationary. It doesn't move, but it expands in frequency. 
And I said, boom, that's it. That's exactly what I've been talking about for the longest time, is imagine a very, very low frequency that increases through resonance in octaves and gets faster and faster and faster. And what happens is each one of those octaves produces a node point which overlap with each other. And this is ghosts and various different phenomena. This is the 40-year time loop of the Montauk and the Philadelphia experiment. This is why these things happen. Um, this is also um, one of the reasons when the first nuclear bomb went off that these interdimensional beings started coming here that tell us, hey, you guys need to stop that stuff. You're, you're, you're messing with multidimensional um, universes over here. And it was interesting because that's what CERN does on a daily basis. Even though they're doing it at very, very low quantum levels, the interactions that they're producing within those particles produces, I mean, peta petavolts of energy. I mean, massive amounts of energy that, that mimic nuclear blasts. So they are basically replicating this. And I think what they're trying to do is replicate Stargate technology, because I think we got it from the ancients, but we still don't know how to do it ourselves. That was a lot, I know. Oh, oh no. I love it. You're, you're right on the tip, Josh. It's great. I have a picture in Beyond Esoteric of the Egyptian Stargate that was found a little over 100 years ago. And the Stargate that was in Iraq, this is even, according to Michael Jaco and others who were in on the Iraq and Afghanistan campaigns, remember the second time under Bush Jr. when our troops got into Baghdad, the very first thing they went to secure was the Baghdad Museum. Mm -hmm. And it's always been a big wonder, why the museum? You could go grab the artifacts anytime. Well, it was actually what was below the museum is an ancient cave, and in that cave was a stargate that Saddam Hussein was trying to backward engineer and get onto the timeline and manipulate different outcomes. This is what Kerry Cassidy describes as the timeline wars. If you have that capability of going back and forth, and now the black hats and the white hats are doing it, that they're battling over what timeline is going to be superior and what timeline is going to be our future. And so this whole thing in, in the uh, second Iraq war was all about the Stargate, just like the Falkland Wars was all about the British securing the black goo, which was down in Southern Thule Island. Many people don't know if you're into military history, you can even go to Wikipedia and look, and look up the Falkland Wars, Wars, you'll see that the Navy group broke off into two parts. And one of those parts went down to the South Sandwich Islands in the southernmost island, Southern Islands, where there was a laboratory studying this black goo because it's always frozen down there. But just like you don't hear about our military troops going to really wanted the real prize, which, which is a Stargate, similar situation with the uh, fucking wars too. Yep. You know, this um, this last uh, last week, we did our annual camping trip with, like, the Red Pill people. Um, and due to weather oh, cool. and high gas prices, not many showed up, but it was still cool. We went down to the, uh, the Great Sand Dunes of Colorado. Have you oh, ever you been go. there? Have you ever heard in of San this? San Luis Valley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, so, I've been there. Yeah, it's great. So the, the native legend is that the ant people burrowed tunnels underneath the mountains and the sand is the remnants of those tunnels that they burrowed out. Um, the scientific explanation is, is that it is 
um, water erosion runoff from the mountains. These things are as high as the mountains. And uh, my buddy Jim, oh, yeah. yeah, my buddy Jim Price was there, and he said, "I think we're looking at a three hundred thousand year old remnant of a mining excavation by some advanced civilization." And I said, "Oh my God, I think you're right, because if you imagine that." Let's say it was us or some alien species came down and they were mining mountains for precious minerals, minerals, gold, whatever it is. You know, they would have some type of high level of technology to do this. Most likely pull rock in, turn it to dust, pull the elementals out and just get rid of the dust. And that's exactly what the sand is. It's not silica sand. It is rock that is just miniaturized i mean massively just crushed rock and it's all about the same grain size and we were even thinking is i wonder what they're hiding under there i wonder if there's pyramids or something of that under there. <laughs> hey that's that's, that's, a, that's a good, good line, line of questioning, questioning josh. josh that's, that's why, why i love talking, talking to you, you. I'll, I'll tell, tell you a few things, things about that san luis valley yeah well right, right across the san great de cristo mountains is cheyenne mountain, mountain. and that, that is continuity of government that's where the new white house is located just west of pike's peak well that san luis valley that you guys were in where the great sand dunes are that's a paranormal hot spot there are a lot of ufo sightings in the town of Cresto. they even have a a tower you can climb up a view of viewing platform for ufo sightings but did you know that the modern phenomenon of cattle mutilations also began in the San Luis Valley. And the very first animal wasn't even a cattle, it was a horse, it was Snippy the horse. And the ranch where it was found, this mutilated horse, was just a few miles away from those great sand dunes. So wow. you guys are onto something there. Well, we saw the, uh, the first night we were there, we actually had some clear skies. And we identified about 28 different objects in the sky. We also had a pilot with us. Uh, uh, a com- uh, not a commercial, but a private pilot with us who's like, what is that? <laughs> That's not a satellite. And we're like, no, they're not satellites, man. And yeah, it was it was pretty brilliant because I, I see these things all the time. Last year, I was out in the back of my house. I'm in Denver, but I still got a good view of the stars in the sky. And I put this on my TikTok and it eventually got deleted. But I had one of those green laser pointers. And what I do is I go out there with yeah. them, like the massive ones, right? And I flicked it up into the sky and I just started fly, flashing some lights. All of a sudden, I had my camera taping this. Is you see this, this like streak through the sky and it stops and starts going slow. And there are seven of them in a row. Boom. Boom. Right where I was shining my light. Seven of them in a row. I got them all <laughs> on, on camera. I still got the video here somewhere, but it was, it was amazing. But yeah, they're, they're all around us right now. It's crazy. And you know, NORAD works on the Cheyenne Mountain. They watch our skies 24-7, and their code word for it is fast walker, one of theirs, or slow walker, one of ours. And that's it's probably a slow walker, one of our planes or satellites, but every so often you'll see the fast one go. And the telltale sign is when they make the 90-degree mm-hmm. turn and then, boop, disappear. That's one of theirs. And one of the other ways, too, is basically when you're looking at a satellite in the sky and you're seeing the light on it, this is basically they're just high up in altitude that the sun is actually refracting off of them. And so you, yeah. if you start seeing flashing come from it, 
But one thing that you'll see is you'll see them moving in a straight line and you'll start seeing them move upward. And the upward motion comes about with them getting dimmer and dimmer because they're moving away from the earth. And it, so they're moving in a, a, a vertical motion away from the earth, which is interesting. Um, I, I actually, in the Navy, 10 years in the Navy, we went to the Solomon Islands. So this was actually uh, 2007 wow. when a Chinese submarine popped up in the back of the Ronald Reagan about 100 yards away from the Ronald Reagan. Wow. We were the first uh, naval asset to go out there and escort the Ronald Reagan back and do anti-surface warfare, anti-submarine warfare for the make sure there's no subs there. And right after, we went to um, this little island called Kwajalein Atoll. And the first thing they tell you when you get there is, if you have a cell phone, this is 2007, turn it off. No cell phones are allowed on the, uh, allowed on the island. The island has about uh, a few hundred civilians and very few military. It's an Air Force facility or Space Force facility. When you pull in on the left side of the island, so an atoll is a circular formation of coral that forms an island. And so you got this big island that's just a big circle that's connected through coral. But on the left-hand side of the island, there's three launch pads for the Air Force to launch satellites into the sky. And you're like, what? Like, I didn't know the Air Force had these things. You get into the island and you start talking about what they do there. And they really don't tell you, but it's a nuclear readiness zone. So they do a lot of nuclear weapon monitoring of China, Russia, and other countries and to see if they're launching intercontinental ballistic missiles in the United States. We were drinking one night at the, the club on base. And I met a few uh, civilians that worked there. <clears throat> and I asked him, how long have you been here? And he goes, they're eight-year contracts that they have to stay on the island. And most people, since it's a tropical paradise, they just spend their whole life there. They'll spend 30, 40 years. And this right. guy had been there for 24 years on this island. And I said, well, what do you guys do here? He goes, well, we monitor everything that occurs in space. And so we have various different satellite sensors up in space. And it monitors the airspace this, around the planet. I go, well, what do you what do you monitor? And he goes, well, you know, we monitor um, space junk, old satellites, debris, little green men. We we do. And I go, wait, what did you just say? And he goes, yeah, dude, I'm telling you, there's stuff up there. We have no idea what it is. It's not our technology. And that's about all I can tell you. Nope. Wow, man. That's, that's a, a good, good reveal. reveal. When you get that kind of information through military channels, that's a great data point, Josh. Because some, why, why would somebody make that up? Exactly. This is someone who actively monitors the sky. And yeah, to, to say that little green men or we don't know what they are. Well, if our military doesn't know what they are, sure as heck a lot of amateur astronomers don't know what they are either. And we are being watched. We're being monitored very closely by several different species that are up there now. Because they're, what is the Earth going to do? What are they, when they have this golden opportunity to shake the yoke of this cabal, these control groups, and what are the humans going to do if they finally have the ability to call their own shots and, and determine their own fate on the planet. And they, most of those races are just observers. They just want to see what we're going to do. And I think what we're going to do is hopefully avoid war and go into a uh, golden age scenario, the prophesied golden age that has been written about in 
spoken of throughout the ages. And this will be the thousand years of peace. This will be the rolling out of all the suppressed technology. And this will be an age when our kids will grow up on a clean planet and uh, not have the suppression of this fascist world government trying to take over. I agree. And I, I think that uh, I think that all of us are here for a specific reason to help usher this in. And uh, we do have a lot of NPCs, non-participatory oh, yeah. characters out there. But there seems to be these uh, these small groups of collaboration that rise up with information and truth that that seem to put it all together and help other people really see what's going on in the world. And that's why I commend you on your show, Josh, and, and all you do for the truth movement, because it's people that are willing to stick their neck out a little bit and share the information that they have and help other people also feel empowered that they can come out with a voice. You know, it's really, we've often said that disclosure comes from the ground up, that we are disclosure. We're not going to sit around with our in a dark place waiting for the government to, to fess up. We already know what's happening and that there is contact. There always has been. We've never been alone. But now especially is a very important time for planet Earth and the human species to have this awakening moment. It really is like that. It's the light bulb moment, the thousand or the hundredth monkey effect where we just all start to get it all at once. You know, it's, it's such an amazing time that we live in, Josh, because right now you still have Stone Age people that exist in the deepest depths of the Amazon rainforest or the highlands of Papua New Guinea that are going to go get their dinner tonight with a blow dart. There are still people that do that, and they live in a Stone Age. And then we also have people that are off planet, and Richard Dolan proposes a breakaway civilization, even off planet. And we're all still human beings, right? The, the uncontacted tribes living in the Stone Age and the breakaway civilization, we're all people. And we all have a commonality and a, and a certain collective consciousness amongst ourselves. So people who are in tune to this can even tap into that primitive wisdom of those uncontacted tribes and also the off-planet humans, too. Because we are the same species, similar to the way that ants have a form of telepathy or other animals can fly in unison and, and, and hunt and work as a pack. They don't have a language they're speaking, but they know what to do. Some of it is instinct, but some of it is disability among species to have telepathic communication. And I think humans have that too. It's just a latent ability within us that is now starting to come out and people should really embrace that ability these superhuman abilities which we all have but have been massively suppressed from keeping us from knowing it because once we know it it's game over i mean it's already game over for this cabal but it's really game over because then everybody's going to see it we can start reading each other's auras and knowing when somebody's lying to you because they're going to have a red aura i would say that the courts of the future are just going to be the judge can read someone's aura and say, oh, we know you're lying to us, and why don't you come back when you really tell the truth? So that could be uh, one way that we can cut down on crime, too, and go into this golden age, is when everybody realizes 
you can't pull a fast one on anyone because everybody's going to know it. It's this whole idea of an age of transparency and goodness knows we need it in election and finance and so many other institutions on this planet, full transparency. And that is part of our great awakening process that we're all learning how to do innately. You know, I, I, lo- I love how you put that too. And you know, I don't think it's something that we've lost. I think that, you know, like what Tom DeLong was talking about with that Black Pyramid, I think that it's being technologically suppressed by something that's happening on this planet. That was probably one of the greatest fears that J.P. Morgan never allowed Nikola Tesla to utilize his Warden Diff, uh, Wardenclyffe uh, Tower for wireless energy and electricity because it amplified through that 7.85 hertz. It brings about the aspect of the Schumann resonance, utilizes the ionosphere. And I think that they use HARP and these other types of suppression devices through the ionosphere that basically suppress our consciousness. And I think that if you've ever been in that that alpha brainwave state, if you've it, it, however long you can sustain it, um, you are super powerful. You have amazing memory. You have just this ability to focus on things that is superhuman. Um, and, and I'm sure that if people were in that state and they tried and practiced and tried to bring about those innate abilities with inside of us, they would find amazing things happening. And this is what happens in a meditation is you go to that alpha brainwave state. You get downloads, you go to the Akashic Records, you can pull information out of the ether, you can communicate with, you know, people and beings or connect to the hive mind, whatever it might be. And people talk about this in various different perspectives, depending on what their culture is. But really, in essence, it's all the same thing as we're all tapping into this this human internet of, of stuff, of all the past, of all the history, of all the future. And we can we can really pull the information out as if we focus well enough. Oh, I like how you said that, Josh. It is the internet of all of our human minds together. And that's really what makes the internet, as we know it with our computers, so great is that people from all around the world can be this node of information and contributions. And so that, that's really been one of our greatest tools, advancing the human race towards this great awakening. It is the new library of Alexandria. And if we were ever to lose uh, access to it, and we've seen how censorship has creeped in, um, it'll be a dark day. But, uh, I, you know, I think humans are just really clever, and we know how to do the workarounds, and we know how to keep getting what we need instead of just going along with these diabolical plans. So I have great faith in the human race, and boy, what a time to be alive to witness all this and, and be relatively young guys like we are, the prime of our lives, to make a difference and, and really put this out there so the younger generation too will start to understand their role and, and how it's important that we're all in on this. As I often say, the revolution is consciousness. The revolution for planet Earth is all of us waking up and every single one of us can play a role in that. Absolutely. Um, let's talk a little bit about your, your books. So, Kind of explain to me a little bit about the um, the motivation behind these, because you know there, there's there's a lot of people out there talk about these topics, 
But it's very, very difficult to find those who are successful at explaining it. And you do an amazing job in these books. I've written hundreds of, I've read hundreds of reviews. I got them on the way. Um, I've, I've heard you talk about these books before. But please give me a rundown and tell me your, like, your passion behind writing these books. Well, that's kind of you to say there, Josh. Uh, I'm just like you. I'm a searcher. I'm, I'm looking for answers. When I was a little kid, I was wondering, why don't we live on a utopian planet by now? Why is there suffering and poverty? And why do I see people uh, that aren't getting along? And, and what is it with this money system that is imposed on us that we're forced to seem so foreign to me in this world even from a young age and, and i guess just looking for answers and having the great honor and privilege to have traveled around the world always self-finance always just on a quest to to explore different cultures and see what it's like behind the veil uh, how the other half lives so to speak and i'll tell you josh I've been among the poorest of the poor. And you know what? They're also the happiest in many cases, unless they're really suffering from malnutrition or something. If they have the basic farm and they'll throw out the red carpet to a Westerner, and it, it just warms my heart that people are really genuinely nice around the world and they want to see it happen. And they're looking to us as the leaders of the Western world that, that have seemingly rose to the top of, of the cultural pyramid and have the resources to backpack around the world and travel and go to these places. Some of the people, most people in the world, they never leave the 20 or 30 square miles from where they're born their entire life. And that's the way it was in agrarian America only 100 years ago. It'd be very rare if you uh, grew up in central uh, Ohio and maybe you went to Columbus once or twice as a kid, and then went there a couple times as an adult to do something. But generally, you would never leave, and you can see that with the Amish. They're still that way. They're very, uh, they're just very provincial in where they live and what they know and what they do. So I guess my to answer your question, my passion for all this is I really do enjoy, and for my own curiosity, how people live in the world. And, and I've had the opportunity to go to all seven continents now and uh, spend a lot of time in Asia. I was an English teacher in Japan for a while. That's when I started writing my first book. I did travel books for the first 15 years. And in the last 10 years, I started doing the esoteric books. And they were basically extensions on some of the esoteric knowledge that I got from going to these Sacred Places is a series of books that I did. So, for example, The Great Pyramid. There's nothing like it on, on Earth. I mean, it is still being unpacked as to how and what the function was and how it was built. So getting into that in the esoteric side of things uh, made me realize there's so many of these subjects that have been withheld from humanity that... I just took it upon myself to not only try to find the answers, but because I'm a good storyteller and a good writer to put it into word form so that people could also have that information at their disposal if they wanted it. You see, the whole nature of the word esoteric 
is that it is knowledge that is sought out and selected by a few people. Once everybody starts to know these subjects, the word actually changes to exoteric. But it's really the good stuff is when it's esoteric, when, it, when it's still hidden. Because then you start to find how humans can really enhance themselves with these superhuman abilities we spoke of, how technology has been suppressed, but using some of that technology in ways that we can to also usher in a better life for ourselves. So there's so many things that not only make you smarter, more aware, and prepared for what might be coming by looking into these subjects, but I think it makes a person even more intelligent, healthier, and even live longer. Because there are things that are happening to us, this wholesale poisoning of humanity, and, and this is what I get into in uh, Modern Esoteric, the first book in the series, is how we're being poisoned, but then in the next section called Thrive, the first chapter is called Living to 200. And there are examples of humans that have lived extraordinarily long lives, oftentimes very simply, but doing the right things to their body and uh, knowing about clustered water. The, the people that routinely live to 100 or older live near very pure water sources. And when put under a microscope, the molecules are clustered in a way, beautiful, symmetrical, geometric forms, just like the uh, work of Dr. Emoto out of Japan, that water carries a certain consciousness, and it's also a conduit, so that when you curse the water and say, you're terrible, you're dirty, you're, you're filthy water, and then you look at a microscope, it's all chaotic. But when you praise your water and thank your water, it's what our bodies are mostly composed of, and you're going to be a part of me before I drink you and look at it under the microscope, it's, it's like the molecule of a snowflake. It's just these beautiful fractal patterns. So our mind has so much power and can interact in the natural world in such a way that we can do things that are going to benefit us if we know about those subjects. And so as a long-form answer, that's how I got really interested in all these subjects that are right about in the Esoteric series of books. Absolutely love it. Uh, and I love the part about water because, you know, we were talking on this show one night and I was talking to everybody about, you know, how science perceives us as carbon based um, creatures, right? That everything that is organic in nature is carbon based. And I said, that's that's a whole it's, it's inherently wrong, because if we look at consciousness as kind of like an evolution of a collaboration of matter, where matter becomes more and more structured, organized and architectured, more intelligent over time, then we would look at the highly advanced levels of consciousness as being developed within those more structured and intelligent patterns of of matter. Whereas we're not carbon based creatures, we're water based organisms. And that we're we're 85% water. Why aren't we water-based organisms? Because they don't want us to know the secret. They don't want us to know the truth. You got the tip there, Josh. That's exactly it. They don't want us to know a lot of things. I mean, wouldn't it be great if in kindergarten we started learning about the energy chakras in the body? In first grade, we start learning how to turn them on. In second grade, our pineal gland has not been calcified 
with fluoride and other toxins, and we start astral traveling in third grade, and in fourth grade, we're all taking our lessons telepathically. I mean, these are the kind of teachings that children should be having, not rote memory learning processes, and then this uh, brainwashing with gender types and, and all this other stuff that's coming into the curriculum it's all wrong and, and they know this is even written about Mao Zedong in the little red book the way you change a society is with the younger generation so when you get them off of the learning systems that really matter and really work and you start to indoctrinate them then they will be the generation that will turn on their parents and turn on anybody else of the old system and unfortunately I see that happening with the Common Core and some of the uh, curriculum that's being pushed in the public schools today, especially in California. Yeah, and well, you know, I saw a great article that came out the other day is that the United States of America is on a massive teacher shortage. Teachers Hmm. don't want to teach anymore. They don't want to go to public school as well as the enrollment rate at public schools has decreased massively over the last two years. And this is because of exactly what you're saying is parents are realizing what's happening with their children in these indoctrination centers and they're pulling them out and they're putting them in online learning. They're putting them in homeschooling. They're, they're teaching their children themselves. And this is what builds the moral and ethical foundation of who that human being is going to be when they grow up. And it's one thing that I, 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 I strategically do with my children is I make sure that they have this moral and ethical foundation and base that is built um, in home. Because if we have a strong family, a strong family develops a strong community. A strong community develops a strong state. A strong state develops a strong country. And if we tear down that foundation, well, you got what you have here today. But then people wake up and see what really matters and Flock to uh, channels like yours, Josh, and check out books like mine and then have that red pill moment and everything changes. You know, that's the whole thing about uh, the whole parable of Pandora's box is that once you open that box, and let's call this the real wisdom of the world, the real knowledge, we're, we're starving for knowledge, but we're drowning in information. Once you get to that 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 the philosopher's stone, the real essence of who we are and our experience on this planet. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. Pandora does not go back into the box. Mm. It's just like if you were to say to me, hey, I got uh, some other information about how these uh, 19 hijackers took down the Twin Towers and Building 7 on 9-11. Well, I'd listen to you because I respect your opinion. But if you were saying that, oh, yeah, we believe in the, the cover story, I said, well, it doesn't go against uh, basic physics that a uh, certain amount of heat to melt the metal to bring these buildings down, that just doesn't make sense. You can't go back to those old narratives, is my point. And so once you start to make this learning process and realize how much we have been deceived, then all this other stuff, it just becomes a clutter. In, in the mind, and it's pretty easy to just tune it out, just like television uh, network news. Just don't even watch it anymore. You will get the information you need in the world if you seek it out. 
but like the old saying, you can bring a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. So people have to have that initiative to really engage with these subjects that we speak about and go through that learning process on their own to really retain this information and, and really uh, make something with it. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it's, uh, it, it's scary to look at the state of the world today because it is filled with information warfare. But just like you said, is when you recognize the tools, the mechanisms and the weapons that they utilize against us through information, it, it's easily identified and it's incredibly easy to block out and you kind of almost do it as a habit. Um, thinking about this, I, I, I'm curious because we, we've, this is our second time talking. Last time we got pretty deep. We got about 20 minutes left. Um, what are your thoughts on consciousness? How, how do you perceive consciousness? What do you, what, what do you feel consciousness is and how, how it evolves? What, what, what is your whole thought and foundation on this? I want to know. Oh, yeah. You've got such a great question, Josh. Yeah, I love to talk about consciousness. In fact, the name of my publishing business is Consortium of Collective Consciousness. It was sort of a tongue-in-cheek name that we came up with at a warehouse in San Francisco uh, 25 years ago. But it's always held true to my heart that there is a certain kind of collective consciousness among all of us. As we were speaking earlier about this 100th monkey effect or tapping into primitive tribes or the breakaway civilization, that's a form of collective consciousness. But on an individual basis, we each have our own spiritual journey. And I love that bumper sticker that we're not humans having the human experience. Uh, we're spirits having the human experience. Maybe did I get that being other way around? <laughs> I think you know what I mean. <laughs> And, and so we're, we, we are humans having a spiritual experience in this manifestation here on this planet. And uh, as we interact with others and bring forth this collective consciousness, I think we're uh, watching the human species evolve into its 2.0 status. Now, if that's going to be through transhumanism or what they're uh, pushing that is going to change our molecular structure and make us inorganic and patentable. Or if you have withheld from that, as I have, and I think you and your listeners have as well, we are the hope for humanity. We're coming to this point where we've not only crossed the Rubicon, we have now separated from human 2.0 who are on this transhumanist agenda, whether they know it or not, if they did that little thing, they have. If they haven't, they're the purebloods. They're the organic humans who will still have natural-born children that will then populate the world in the future where it will be valued if you stayed a pureblood. And those are the kind of people that are going to... Uh, want to interact i've heard there's even new dating sites for the people that uh, have, have withheld from doing that and there are also uh people that are that are uh hanging out only with that certain group um so this is the age we live in i mean things just keep getting weirder and weirder and weirder but to answer your question more on the consciousness basis 
those individuals who are on a trajectory to really self-improve themselves, the self-mastery, consciousness then takes a very important role. And that is learning about your chakra energy fields, learning about the energy body within. There's a great book called The Body Electric or Seed of the Soul by Gary Zukov that talks about individual and, and soul groups that work together. And that's why people that go to the rainbow gatherings, welcome home and you're in your family. So people who think of a like mind, the birds of a feather who flock together, they'll come together and their energy will increase uh, tenfold. So it's not just me and you talking, one plus one equals two. It's one times ten to the power of even your people who are listening to the show right now, understanding what we're talking about. That thought form, which is called an egregore, is now getting bigger and wider audience because that form of consciousness then begins to take a life and form of its own. And this is when we start to get into some really, not only esoteric, but even very interesting ideas about how the human race is going to go forward in this age of transparency, in this telepathically communicating world where our minds are going to become very powerful. Now, how we've been taught that all this uh, dark DNA and this, we don't know what it's for, therefore it must be junk DNA. No, no, it's anything but. It's just that we haven't understood it yet. And once we tap into that, then we start going into the consciousness of our extraterrestrial benevolent service to all ET races. And that's when things start getting really good. And then we will be able to sit at a table with these others. Some of them look just like us, very human-like, but they look at what we're doing down here on Earth, not you and me, but... How, how things have gotten so out of control. And this is like the planet of the apes to them down here. They still can't believe that we have people that are starving every night, that there's still warfare, that we're still trashing the planet. It's like, come on, humans, get your act together. Then we will make that transition where we can sit at the table with benevolent ETs and join this galactic federation. And I think that could even happen in our lifetimes, Josh. I'm very optimistic that in this consciousness movement among humans, that we're going to come together in a very uh, workable way so that people will just know what's real and what's not. It, it's separating the wheat from the chaff. It's, it's basically, so consciousness will then be its own judge of truth. Because in this age of disinformation and propaganda, there's so many half-truths and uh, outright lies and so much else that we have to sift through. But consciousness is when we can really start seeing the truth for what it really is. I, I absolutely 100%. And, and man, you, you get me, you get my mind thinking and it, it's, it's great too, because you were saying something there about junk DNA yeah. and, um, uh, this is uh, so I actually um, I was uh, the American Chemical Society student of the year three years in a row, college and high schools, uh, going in to be a biotech major, ended up getting a degree in physics. Uh, but it's 
kind of been my life is science. I grew up with a father who developed molecular modeling software for large pharmaceutical firms. My stepmother was a PhD from MIT in biological toxicology. Um, and so I just was surrounded by this whole aspect of DNA, right, and, and what it was. And I studied this a lot in my younger years. And around 2015, I came across a series of articles by this guy by the name of Dr. Martin Blank, B-L-A-N-K. And uh, these were peer-reviewed published articles that talked about DNA as an electromagnetic transducer and as a fractal antenna that pick up um, signals of frequency in the microwave uh, range of about... 32 to 34 gigahertz and that when they pick it up they begin to re DNA begins to resonate as like a signaling antenna if you cut it in half it's still going to pick up the same frequency if you cut it in half again it's going to pick up the same frequency and this was interesting because that frequency was very very similar to the cosmic microwave background radiation that permeates the entire universe that was discovered after their big bang event right and uh this got me coming up with the theories that consciousness is basically receptive to DNA, and that's kind of how it takes part in the DNA, and that our junk DNA is a delineation through time where our genetic memory is actually stored within our DNA profile, and it can be unlocked through variations and manipulations of frequency in the mind. Oh, that's, that's really, really well, well said, Josh. Josh. I agree with you. Our mind will interact with our DNA. Did you know that the very first three-strand DNA humans are now being born? Mm. The very first one was discovered in England about uh, 15 years ago. And he's just growing up like this indigo child. Incredible, amazing abilities. for you know, The same way that Mozart was creating concertos when he was still a kid. How do you come into these lifetimes with so much information and abilities to do all this? And it is because our DNA is growing. That also, according to Edgar Casey, we were once 12-strand DNA human beings. And those are, for example, the Pleiadians mm -hmm. and other very human-like ETs have multiple-strand, 12-strand DNAs. We, during the fall of man, we were selected out. Our, our DNA was selected out. And this was also by interbreeding with the simian races. This is how we have the, our 85% of humans have that tracer in their blood type, ostensibly through their DNA, all the way back to the great apes. But 15% of humans, including in my family, are Rh-negative blood types. That means devoid of these markers that go back to the grade 8. So Darwin was only partially correct. But what it suggests is there was an intermingling or other kinds of humans who were on this planet that had those 12-strand DNA and that uh, this was also the fall of Atlantis that they were, uh, the mothers were singled out and mated with the two strands, and eventually all the 12 strands were lost. Mm. But through our evolution, we're going back to that. And, and our two-strand DNAs are now showing nodes where the third strand could even pop in. So in this uh, 
this hundredth monkey effect, I expect this could happen on a mass scale to everybody, including those uncontacted tribes in the Amazon and Papua New Guinea. They too will have a third strand moment and probably start having dreams and memories and ideas of this breakaway civilization. They're just like us, but they live up in the sky. <laughs> and they will start knowing it in the same way that we all start knowing it too. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm O negative blood. And, oh, are you? Uh, yeah, I got a uh, my my mother's family lineage actually um, derives from from Russia, and uh, her great grandmother was the cousin to the Romanovs. And so, well, wow. her grandmother was cousin to the Romanovs. They seek exile in Poland and then in Bordeaux, France, where my mother was born in Bordeaux, France. Um, and then she later on emigrated to the United States of America. Um, but yeah, definitely 100% O negative blood here. And I know what you're talking about with that because that's a, it's an interesting thing to think about this because what's happening right now with the, 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 the Fauci ouchie, right? The Fauci ouchie here is. <laughs> What if this is some type of gene therapy that is right. being utilized to suppress the evolutionary progression that naturally evolves through the cycles, the great time, the processional cycles of the universe? What if the universe itself had built into it a mechanism of consciousness evolution that as you cycle around through the galactic center up over the top, I call it the, uh, the galactic analemma wave. If you know how the sun moves through the sky and you watch it from a stationary point on the earth, and if you pinpointed the sun every day in the sky at noon, the sun would do a figure eight through the sky. It's called an analemma. The moon does the same thing. And if you observe the earth moving through the galactic center, the, the, the earth would do an analemma through the galaxy center. It'd go up to a top where summer, it'd go through the middle where it's incredibly dense, and it would come down the winter. And... What we see when we start matching time frames up of known humanity for the last 8,000 years into the cycle is that there's these dark ages when you go through the massive center where we're kind of like just cut off from the universe. And that makes a lot of sense because it's really incredibly dense in that center of the Milky Way galaxy. But then you come up to this kind of golden age there at the summer and then you fall back into this dense period. And then you go down the winter where it resets. And usually by that time, there's some type of cataclysm that happens here. But if we look at it in the perspective of evolution, in the sense of solar cycles, of how solar cycles actually operate, solar cycles operate on this planet and control our climate. Every 11 years, you have a solar maximum or a solar minimum. And this is dependent upon cosmic radiation that's coming in from the other side. One thing they've, they've realized in science is that when you have an increase of cosmic radiation, you have a solar minimum. So you have a solar reduction. And there's less clouds on the planet, and the planet begins to cool. And what happens when the planet cools is we de-evolve away from civilization. We have to keep warm. We have to survive. We have to have more belly fat. And we have to go back to some type of animal hunting, nomadic tribal situation. But then what happens is the solar maximum comes up, pushes those cosmic rays out. We get more clouds in the sky. The whole um, cycle occurs on the planet. It starts warming up and civilization is allowed to grow for 10,000 years. And we have this that happens throughout the entire universe on a galactic, a universal, on a planetary, a solar level. And these are just different patterns of evolution for consciousness to grow, recede, grow, recede. I call this um, 
uh, it's called the exchange principle. It's uh, optimization theory, is that if we look at the trend line for everything that happens in the entirety of the existence, from subquantum to quantum to molecular to macro to cosmic, is that everything goes through this cycle of growth, recession, growth, recession, and they, they hit various points of optimization. They bottom out, they decline slightly, and then they optimize again and move to a new point of optimization. And this is what we see when we start looking at this. And I think that this is what's happening to consciousness and that we're entering this zone right now. And this is where DNA would begin to evolve. But I think that the Fauci-Auchi is meant to suppress that. <laughs> You're on the tip there, Josh. They even call it gene therapy. And wouldn't it be great if they could shut down these superhuman abilities we're talking about? In one fell swoop with these uh, experimental dinger dingers, whatever the heck they yeah. are. And uh, don't go near them, folks. But uh, if you do start to detox ASAP, seriously, get it, mitigate it as best you can. But you brought up a good point there, Josh, that we are going through these long-term phases. Remember... Uh, going into the age of Aquarius. We really are in the zodiac cycle. That is the new stars that appear uh, high up in the sky. It is the age of Aquarius. When I was in India, I understood and learned about the yuga cycles. And these are also macro cycles that take many thousands of years. We're coming out of the Kali Yuga, and she was a slayer, and it was a violent period. And we look back at our history in the last couple thousand years, it was very violent. So that makes sense that we're coming out of this dark ages, this warlike phase. And the Mayan calendar also points to this period of time when we're also coming into a new age that is as yet to be defined. So all indications are Humanity is going through a macro change right now. Mm -hmm. And I think people just need to get on board and start understanding the importance of this and what they can do and learn to enhance their own lives and, and be a part of this great awakening. Because it's, it's a really exciting time to be alive and to watch this all happening right now. I agree. And, and a note on that is that if you – if so we had the end of the Mayan calendar, which was really mapping out this solar cycle through the galactic center. And what's interesting about it is basically this one full cycle of the Mayan calendar is kind of just like looking at a yearly calendar here. And if we actually placed ourselves on a calendar to find out where we are in the Milky Way galaxy, in the sense of the transition around, it's actually December 21st, which is interesting because in three days, galactic days, we're going to come to that point of resurrection and rebirth as it is symbolically represented by the transition of the sun, by the seasons, and all these various representations through esoteric and occult history. And I think that this has a specific meaning because one of the things that I've learned or realized is that the, the sun... The sun is interconnected with the galaxy in some way. There's some type of resonance that's occurring, communication resonance that's occurring. And I believe that everything has to increase its own frequency or it's going to die. So it has to sustain, sustain itself. So a human being, for instance, once you stop sustaining yourself at resonance, you begin to degrade and you die. 
and that a galaxy is very similar, that it increases to its height of its ministry, 33 years, right? And then it begins to decline and it goes away and expands into a new galaxy and creates all these new other things. But is that our galaxy is still very young and it's growing and increasing its residence, which means that all the suns connected within that sphere of influence are increasing in the residence. And that our ancestors knew this and they mapped it out that basically we can tell those points are happening by the way our sun moves through the galactic center. And that this resurrection point, this point to where that sun increases its energy resonance comes about at this winter point and we're about to go through that, and we're actually going through that right now. And this is what the apocalypse is all about. Revel it, 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 this is all these prophetic talks. This is what it's all about, is this transition that consciousness is about to go through in this increase. Oh, I love it. And not only that, but there is a galactic center point. Mm -hmm. And now our Milky Way galaxy, especially our solar system, is moving to the point where it's in more of alignment with the center of our Milky Way galaxy. And a lot of different kind of gamma rays and other kind of electrical charges, if you're familiar with the Schumann resonance, mm -hmm. it's, it's off the chart on some days. So we're also being assisted by just naturally forming uh, rays that are coming into our solar system and affecting us here on earth as well. So everything is coming up, great changes for planet earth. And we're like I said, right in the middle of it. I, I agree 100% with you, Brad. Um, man, I just put your website out there, esotericseries.com for everybody who's interested. Um, I urge you to go check out Brad's books. Uh, man, this was a fantastic conversation. Again, we're just gonna we're just gonna have to keep bringing you on and having these conversations because this is just we're fun. just gonna have to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one sec. So everybody, we're gonna go to Fringe After Dark in thirty minutes from now. That's our subscription show. You can find that on socialredpill.com. If you want to get access, it'll be given out to the entire platform tonight. Just go on over to socialredpill.com. We'll put the information on there. But make sure you're a member. Uh, Brad, thank you, man. This was an often awesome conversation. Just much appreciated for you joining me. And you're just a, a wealth of knowledge on all these topics. And it's just so great to talk to you, man. Well, it's great talking to you too, Josh, because you really have a strong grasp on these subjects. And I really appreciate it when I can learn something too from uh, a host like yourself. And you were uh, throwing down some great information tonight. And uh, always a pleasure to speak with you. And Sure thing. We'll just keep this going as a series with you and I every couple months. And uh, thank you for directing people to the Esoteric Book Series. And, of course, you can find them all on uh, that retailer named after uh, Rainforest in South America. But you can also go to cccpublishing.com and get them off my website, and then I can sign copies for people when they go out the door there. So either esotericbookseries.com or CCC Publishing will get things uh, going in that direction. If you want to find out more about me and some of the conferences I'm speaking at, you go to bradolson.com. That's B-R-A-D-O-L-S-E-N.com. And one of those links will take you to uh, my upcoming conferences. And I look forward to meeting you one of these days at one of these Absolutely, Josh. Me as well, me as well. Yeah. So uh, it's going to happen, and great to talk to you again tonight. Really uh, honored and privileged to have this time to speak with you. 
appreciate you, Brad. Thank you so much. And, guys, you guys have a great night, and we'll see you guys next time. Good night.